if you think your brand is all about, you know, um, inclusion and collaboration and sustainability, but nobody picks up on that because you're not showing images that are inclusive or <laughs> the people that work with you are not collaborative, you know, then it's yeah. like that doesn't work. So, so it really does go back to those, those core principles of what you, you want to be and then pulling those through all of your brand experience. Hi, I'm Caitlin Pyatt, owner of Authentic Branding and Marketing, where I work with female entrepreneurs to brand, market, and grow their small businesses. I'm your host for this podcast, Startup Marketing. I'm a mom of three and entrepreneur, so if you ever hear little kids in the background, it's just my life, trying to make this all work while I build a business. I worked as a corporate marketer for over 12 years, where I focused on marketing and branding strategy, along with marketing management. Often, I heard small business owners say they weren't doing any marketing because they couldn't afford to outsource it to an agency and they didn't know how to do it themselves. When I started my business, I knew I could take my expertise and my experience to help women thrive by teaching them how to create strategic marketing plans they could feel confident about and show them the tools to make managing their marketing easy and efficient. So if you're an entrepreneur out there who's Googling how to brand and market your business, you've come to the right place. The goal of Startup Marketing is to make all of my marketing knowledge accessible and actionable so you can take it and level up your business. I'm a huge marketing nerd and I'm passionate about sharing everything I know with you. This podcast is genuinely one of my favorite things to create. So get ready to learn about all things marketing. Hey, Startup Marketing listeners, you know it's a good day when you get to connect with branding experts who have worked on giant brands, which is our guest today. So I am super pumped. Lynn Power is a 30-year advertising executive, formerly CEO of J. Walter Thompson, New York. Throughout her career, she has worked on some of the world's most iconic brands, including American Express, Clinique, Hershey's Campari, and L'Oreal. Lynn met her co-founder, James Hammett, in 2018, and they launched Masami, clean premium hair care in February of 2020. Lynn loves helping women find their voices, disrupting the status quo, and building high-performing teams. She has some amazing insight on building your own brand and how it's different as an entrepreneur versus in an agency, and I think you're going to get a lot of great information out of today's conversation. So let's dive in. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to Startup Marketing. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here, even though I'm freezing, but <laughs> I'm so excited to be here talking to you. <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully our conversation gets us all fired up and warm and cozy, right? Yes. I love that. So tell us a little bit about that background and what it is you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I spent uh, most of my long, very long career in advertising and marketing. 30 years. Um, I was formerly the CEO of J. Walter Thompson, New York. Um, and then I decided I got sick of building brands for other people and I wanted to do it for myself. Um, you know, I think as we get a little older, we get a little more selfish and not in a bad way, by the way. Mm -hmm. But I decided to leave and I started my, I actually started a brand consultancy and I was working with startups, which was really fun because I felt like I could really make an impact. But then I just launched my own brand with my co-founder, which is a clean premium hair care brand called Masami. And we launched in February of 2020. And it's been a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. Um, I'm sure it would have been wild even without COVID. I'm sure COVID didn't make anything easier in that regard. 
Did you, when you were building your hair care brand, did you feel like it was harder to build a brand for yourself versus for your clients? This was a conversation I was having with someone recently. Um, Hmm. I feel like it's always harder to like turn my talents on myself than like use them on other people. Yes and no. I would say that I'm either my best client or my worst client. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? But I, I will say that if for me, it's been easier because I don't, I don't have to wait for somebody to run it up the flagpole for approval and come back down with changes and the time that it takes a lot of clients to get things done. I'm like, so over that, that I just make really fast decisions. Yeah. And, and then I decide if I don't like the decision I made later, I change it. You know what I mean? Like, because yes. most, most of the things that you're doing can be fixed. Okay. Obviously if I'm creating products, which I am, and I'm spending money on inventory, well, that inventory, I don't want to have to redo, right. but you know, things like your website, your social, like those are all living, breathing things. So I think sometimes people get fixated on making those perfect Yes. and they forget that like, no, it's okay. You can iterate and you can evolve and you can learn and you can change it. And it's fine. And everyone does that. <laughs> it's, the yes. world. it's, um, it's funny. You say that like iteration, because I, I have been thinking this like same thing myself recently. I, coming from a corporate environment where like you didn't iterate your brand very often, like it happened, but it was, you know, a slower process and it happened over like longer periods of time. Like you weren't, it's not like every few months you were like, Oh, I'm going to like change and update this in like a pretty big way. Um, and it was an established brand, right? Like I'd come in and I was managing a brand that had been there for 75 years before I took over. So there wasn't like a whole lot of, um, evolution necessarily happening within the business. Um, and so it's been, it's been a weird kind of hard shift sometimes. She agrees. (laughs) She likes what you're saying. She likes it. Um, it's been a hard shift moving to like an entrepreneur in a startup environment where I think you iterate more often. And so I was for so long, I was like so rigid and I was like, I built it. And then I was like, you're not allowed to touch it. And I recently kind of backed myself out of that mentality, but it's definitely a mindset shift. I think moving from like a corporate world to a startup world and an entrepreneurial world. Yes. Especially if you're working on a brand like you described, which I've, I've worked on a lot of those. I've worked on Nestle and Hershey's and Clinique and American Express and Pizza Hut and all kinds of brands that have been around forever. And it's very difficult to change those brands because people get hooked into what they perceive as this uh, equity, which there is legit equity. Yes. But a lot of times the equity is, is faded and it needs to evolve and move on and people don't want to do that. So the beauty of when you have a startup is you're building it all from scratch so you can create the equity you want to create and you're not locked in, you know what I mean, to, to yeah. people going, oh my God, we can't touch that logo. We can't, you know, um, but, but then it, op- it opens up the opposite problem, which is like the world is your oyster yeah. <laughs> and you could, yes. you know, where do you stop? Right. Like right. you could drive yourself nuts trying to figure out how to make your site faster and, 
you know, drive conversion and spend all your days doing that. And there's a point where you just have to be like, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think too, this is something that I've been wondering and I, and you might have an opinion having worked with startups and things like that. Is there a certain point, because when you're in the corporate world, you tell people like, and you have to advocate sometimes for like, Hey, we can't, we can't constantly be changing like all these things about our brand because you start to lose that equity, you know, over time, does your brand evolve and change? Yes. Should it change quarterly? Probably not, (laughs) you know, like, you know, and so you advocate for some amount of consistency because it's necessary to build up that brand equity and really get people to recognize you and go, oh, okay, when I see something from Nestle, I know who it is because I've seen that logo. I know those colors, um, small changes, those iterations over time. That's fine. They don't totally like rock my world and make me wonder like, who is this company? in the startup world where you can have more iteration, is there a certain, is there a certain point where like you need to stop and just go, this has to be good enough so that I don't start diluting my brand? Well, yes, but I think a lot of startups don't really have much equity, right? Because they're just, they're startups by, by definition. <laughs> so, um, so I think, I think what happens though, is I, what I saw a lot is that the launch, they'll launch a product that they think is like, they're really enamored with. They think it's great. And they'll focus a lot of their attention and efforts on the product and not on the brand. And so um, they will spend a lot of time fixated on how amazing this user experience is of this product or whatever it is about the product. And a lot of times they're not branding people or marketer, marketers, they're, they're engineers or you know, they're people that don't really get that side of it. So what I saw happen is, okay, fast forward a year or two, they've had their product and slash brand in the marketplace, but it's a dog's breakfast. It's like, there's no consistency to your point. The messaging is all over the place. Cause they've just kept, you know, playing around with things and they don't really understand that actually your logo kind of should, should be recognizable to somebody. <laughs> um, and it's only until a brand is that recognizable, like Google can play with their logo, but people know it and it's fine. And it makes it, it fits with their brand ethos right. of, of being inventors and being, you know, technologists. So I do think you have to think about your positioning up front and get, get some tenants in place that drive your brand values and consistency so that you're not, you know, reinventing everything, like the core things, at least, um, to your point, like all the time, those things should kind of be in place. And then you iterate off of other things, like, obviously, you know, your messaging tracks can iterate. (laughs) Oh my gosh, she's, she's loving that now. She's, I think she wants to be a marketer or maybe an entrepreneur. I I love how you're starting her early. Osmosis absorbs everything. So she you know what though? My kids also, my kids are much older. I have teenagers. I have a 19 year old and a 17 year old. And, um, and they, they have learned despite them not wanting to, right. Cause they, they pick up everything I'm doing good or bad. <laughs> it's funny that you say though, about your son's absorbing marketing. My son has like a, uh, knack for like picking up jingles and remembering like 
slogans and things like that. And we, we recently bought a new truck and he wanted us to get a different one than what we bought. Okay. And he's asking me all these questions like, well, why didn't we get the other, the black truck? Why did we get the gray one? And I was like, well, this truck was just, you know, it's the same truck, just a different color. It was a better price. It had more feet, you know, and I'm trying to like explain, yeah, explain, right. Explain all of this. And he was like, and I was like, you know, and at the end of the day, this one costs like less money than the other one. And that's, you know, a big deal. And he was like, well, but we could, we could have just, um, what, what did he say? I totally am going to blink on this right now. Um, he was like, well, we could have, we could have just paid for what we needed with Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. <laughs> and I was like, that's not Wow. That's like, a little scary, right? <laughs> I was like, I am a little terrified. Uh, that's not how it works. They don't just let us pay for what we need. <laughs> right. But he like picks it up and. That's amazing. Well, and, look, I will tell you, my kids have had sort of the opposite experience. Yes, they pick it up and they can contribute. And my, my son is quite creative. They're both super creative. My daughter's like an artist and my son is actually like conceptually creative but neither of them want to be in marketing. Like I almost think seeing what I do and my husband was also in advertising has made them do the opposite. Like they, and I actually brought my son to Cannes um, when he was 15, which is the big um, award show in the South of France, which to me was like, oh my God, like. Yeah, how cool. How cool, right? Amazing <laughs> experience. And you get to see all this cool work. And yeah. And and uh, we're at dinner with some of my coworkers. This is when I was at, at J, J. Walter Thompson. And they were like, so Billy, you know, what do you think? Isn't this cool? And he's like, you guys are pathetic. All you do is talk about yourselves and talk about your ads and you give each other awards for things like a Burger King print ad like it's so sad <laughs> and I was sort of like wow we all kind of were like yeah he's kind of right he's kind of right oh I guess <laughs> but it's also like you got to celebrate what you do yeah it is like it is creativity and like strategy there's so much that goes into it that right that, even if it's only us celebrating correct like, correct it's still you know you still want to feel pride and of, of the work you're creating right, right. like it's not much different, I don't think, than like a movie awards show or like a musical right. awards, you know, like in essence, they're still just talking about themselves, celebrating and clapping for each other. So totally. Oh my gosh, how cool. Well, that would have been, Cam sounds awesome. So I know. I guess you take away, you take their insight <laughs> and you just sort of uh, roll with it, I guess. But how interesting that they have sort of swung the polar opposite direction. So at any rate, I digress. Um, so you said you also work with startups in Silicon Valley. Um, yeah. And we touched on this a little bit, but when somebody is in that startup mode, what do you feel like they really need to focus on when it comes to their branding or their marketing? So I, I always say there's, there's two things you need to do before you do anything else. One is determine if there's a viable market for your idea or your product, because sometimes people launch things when it's like a really niche market and nobody's yeah. really that interested in it and you can't scale it and you spend all this time and energy for a very tiny little market. So the first thing is make sure that it's a market that's big enough to do what you want to do. And, yeah. you know, and people always underestimate the time and money it takes to launch something too. So there's that. Um, 
And then the second thing I think I always tell people is, we talked about it earlier, get your positioning and your brand values sorted beforehand. Because what people don't realize often is that if you know your brand values and you shouldn't have more than a handful, right? Four maybe. Yep. Um, and the idea is that you have to be choiceful about what the things are that really matter to you. But those can direct almost all of your efforts. They can direct what partners that you align with when you're doing you know, a giveaway as small yep. as that to your innovation pipeline, to who you hire. Yeah. Um, if I hire somebody and they don't care about uh, the ocean or sustainability, that's the tough one for us, you know, because that's an important part of our brand. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that getting those things set up front as opposed to down the road makes a huge world of difference. Because the other thing I see happen is that there's the like founder syndrome where there's a lot of stuff that lives in the founder's head. Yes. And it needs to get out of your head and yes. make it into, a, you know, put it on paper so that other people can understand it. You can't assume that people just can like pick up your telepathic right. brain right. waves about what you think is on brand and off brand. Totally. I, um, I was, I had that same exact thought yesterday. I started outsourcing the editing of my, my podcast and the creation of like my content off of it. And I'm, I'm fortunate in that the, the gal who I'm outsourcing it to, she used to be, she was actually one of my employees who also has since like become a freelancer doing all of this stuff. Um, but I, I had to remind myself like, Hey, you have to, you still have to like communicate all of the thoughts and things that are in your head, because even though she knows you and she knows you really well, and she's like, you've had many conversations about your brain and your business, like she's not a mind reader and you have to be able to like exactly. get that out there and like put it, put it out so that they can understand and like effectively execute off of it. Um, you know, because even though she's not a full-time employee, like I, I pay her and I employ her at, to do something that an employee could potentially do. So she has to, she has to understand that. And I think that's why having your brand in place, I tell small, I tell small business clients this all the time, like having all of those brand components in place ahead of time means that when you get to the point where you outsource, it is one less thing or a group of things that you don't have to like try to pull out and document and get on paper. It's set, it's there, and you can kind of hand that information over. So there's at least a starting point and it's, it gives you kind of that jumping off to communicate and say like, okay, here's how we're going to get this job done. Or when you start making your hires and things like that, you know, you've got it sort of documented. So people coming in can like absorb it and you don't have to try to like verbalize and articulate, it. verbalize, <laughs> verbally articulate it every single yep. time and make sure that like, you don't miss anything. So yeah. When it comes to, so when it comes to market research, you, so you're saying, you know, make sure that you, you know, that there's a need and a market for your product or your service. How can someone do market research? Because I know this is something, even as someone who knows how to do it, it's, it's kind of difficult. Like it's difficult to get in front of the right people. Um, 
and it's difficult to like get them to respond to you, to give you kind of the information. So how can somebody who isn't maybe well-versed in research conduct conduct enough that they can feel confident moving forward and know that they kind of asked the right questions so that they're actually getting answers that are helpful and useful to them? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the first thing you can do is start start easy, you know, friends and family um, and, and get people's opinions and get people that you know are going to be honest and not just tell you it's great because they're your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's easy and you can definitely kick, kick the idea around with a lot of people. I always advise people also to build a network when you're starting out of people that are peers, like who have done it before, mm-hmm. who are in the space yeah. you're in advisors, people that maybe have already exited successfully or done some, you know, have more wisdom than you do. Um, Mentors, uh, mentors can be younger than you too, by the way. They're not, doesn't mean that it's somebody old. It could be somebody who's just really, really good at SEO or digital or something that you want to learn because those people can be invaluable at giving you that feedback that you need to make your product work. Um, Because sometimes it's just a matter of tweaking it. It's yeah. like, well, you have an idea, but if you actually did it this way, you know, it'll be that much more powerful when you bring it to market. So that's the first thing is, is, is build, use your friends and family and then build a network. Like, and you can yeah. ping people on LinkedIn, people reach out to me constantly, you know, and I am now connected with so many other indie beauty brands um, and clean beauty brands and female founders. It's, um, it's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I think people are more generous than you probably think they are and will, you know, be happy to give you feedback. Um, But then you can also widen the net. So once you've done that, if you still feel like you need to get a little bit more, you know, insight, you can always go to like SurveyMonkey, which is a pretty turnkey and inexpensive resource and craft your own market survey. Um, You can also give people, if you have a physical product like we did, we did a lot of research with giving people the product to use and having them fill out, we did it in Google Forms, you know, fill out a questionnaire with your your feedback. Um, So you can do it like that as well. Um, But yeah, I think just getting, getting enough people to feel like, okay, I, well, A, I, ha- I have a market, but B, are there any issues that I hadn't thought of? Sure. Whether they're usability issues, product issues, um, experience issues, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that gives you a chance to also address those before you're actually live in market and have spent a lot of money. Right. I think that that testing is a really important phase that sometimes gets missed because it's, um, it's hard, I think, to put yourself out there. It's, there's certainly a level of like vulnerability, um, in regards to like, Hey, give me feedback about this thing that I'm pouring my heart and soul into and trying to make a career, um, a career out of, but I think it's really, it's really important because that's where you get a lot of the the aha moments and the critical feedback that keeps you from making a bigger misstep and kind of wasting time or money. Um, because without it, you know, you just wouldn't have seen it. It's a blind spot, blind spot for you. Yeah, exactly. So I think, uh, but I agree, like getting as much consumer feedback or target feedback as you can ahead of time is just super, super helpful. Yeah. 
Yeah. So when you first start marketing your business and this is, this is a question I get asked quite a bit, um, in networking groups from clients that come in, um, is like, what's a good budget for me to begin marketing? And then the follow-up question is always immediately before I even answer, (laughs) what are the most inexpensive ways for me to market (laughs) or what can I do for free? So do you have, when you worked with clients, did you have kind of a, a good answer for that question? And then even you like starting your brand and your hair care stuff, are there kind of like some tried and true techniques and marketing strategies that were your go-to because they were inexpensive or easier to execute on than, you know, invest in something potentially. Oh, for sure. So to start with the budget question, I think what you have to do is just get your best back of the envelope estimate of your total expenses, because you'll find that there are things that come up that you hadn't really thought of. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of those tend to be operational expenses like, oh, you know, you need QuickBooks and oh, I don't really know how to use QuickBooks. I need a bookkeeper to do QuickBooks, you know, like Mm -hmm. things that you just have to factor in um, and don't forget like trademarking um, and, you know, doing some of the you know, foundational things to sort of set your business up for success. So, so make a back of the envelope budget of all those things. So, you know, what you are going to be spending. And then if you're not taking investment money, which we are, we are, we haven't, we are self-funded, um, which I think a lot of startups are, um, if you are self-funded like us, then you want to be as scrappy as possible with your marketing spend. So, um, we, we don't spend a ton on marketing, but we do a lot. So, um, the obvious easiest place to spend time is social because the more you can build up a following of engaged followers, not just numbers, um, you know, those people can be your best advocates. And we've, we, we do a fair amount of micro influencer Mm -hmm. stuff, but we don't pay for any of it. Those people are all inbound, um, leads from like Instagram they'll ping us on Instagram and part of that world. So, um, and we'll give people product in exchange for, you know, them posting, but um, so those are things you can do easily. Um, Also blogs, um, content creation, because you want to create things that build SEO that drive people to your site organically. So that's really important. And then there's also, I mentioned earlier, partnerships with other brands, like the fact that I'm super connected with all these other indie brands and female founders has been great because we do giveaways, gift with purchases, we'll do live streaming. Oh, live streaming is another avenue that doesn't cost anything. And you can do it on multiple channels. You can do it on obviously, you know, Facebook, Instagram, but you can also live stream on places like Shop Lit Live, which is an app that we're on that features brands and creators. And then there's also, um, uh, we're actually doing a show later today on Spin Live. My partner does a lot of the live streaming um, and we're regulars on Spin Live, we're on Talk Shop Live um, and we're on Amazon Live too. Oh, I didn't even know Amazon had an Amazon Live. Amazon, I didn't either until we got on Amazon and started playing around and they have a whole live, live channel. So. Um, so there are, and none of those cost anything. Right. So, and then podcasts, Yeah. you know, there's a reason I do podcasts and it's because, well, one, I like to share what I'm learning along the way, because yeah. I feel like it's good karma, <laughs> yes. 
But I also like to tell our story and, you know, when you are doing it in social, it's not, you know, it's tough to do. You, you have like a, a very small space. Yes. In, yeah. The attention you know, in a post, yeah. in a post, in a short attention span uh, channel. Whereas, you know, the beauty of being able to tell a deeper story in podcasts is amazing, not to mention that they're evergreen. So yep. what I find will happen, and I'd be curious to know what you find, but if somebody likes your podcast in particular, and they're getting good insights and tips from it, they'll go back and listen to previous mm -hmm. episodes, mm -hmm. right? So yep. the yep. fact that, you know, you're, you're there and you're telling your story is great. So that's why I think there's all those channels. Like, so if you just like just doing all the things I just said, will keep you super, super busy. Yeah. Oh, and one other, I will tell a couple other quick um, tricks and tips. There's a... Um, site called dojo mojo okay and it is like i'm obsessed with it kind of um it's not free so you do have to you can get a free trial and then you have to pay for it but it basically partners brands together to do sweepstakes and they manage it all oh. and what's nice about that is it's just exposing you to people that you wouldn't have connected with but are are with like-minded brands so yeah. they're the right types of customers so it's a great resource we're also on AmpJar, which is if you do enough shout outs, it's free. So we don't pay for it, but you basically shout out other, again, like-minded brands. And huh. it's just a great way to, to I, I like the spirit of generosity. That's yeah. like where I come from, you know, and, and helping, helping other brands like you that are small and starting out and have similar values. Um, so that's why I, I gravitate to doing things like that. Um, so those are just good resources if you have a, a physical product. Yeah, that's super, that's super cool. I already know like a, t a couple of clients that I'm going to refer to both of these. And I think too, yeah. like there's a lot to be said. I'm really big, like you, you mentioned on building, like building a community and building kind of those referral partners and things like that, because it all, it all comes back to you. You know, the more you reach out and help other people, the, the more, the more it just kind of comes back to you in, in the form of like good, good karma, like you said, even as a small, you know, there have been people over the past year as a small newer entrepreneur who have let me borrow their audiences or kind of given me a leg up or a shout out or something that like, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, in turn, even only being a year old, like there are some, there are women that I meet in networking groups that are literally like week one. And I'm like, well, I've got, I've got some more experience. And so I've got a little bit more and I pay it on, you know, I try to pay it on to them. And so I think it just, it builds that goodwill and people remember that because then when they are, when they're looking to make a referral or when somebody asks for some kind of like recommendation, if you've got like a physical product, people are like, Oh, like I remember Lynn, she like totally helped me out over here and was really awesome. And so then they, then they like, speak to it. And that's kind of your word of mouth that, you know, nothing beats a good, a good referral from somebody oh, talking about your product or service. Yeah. I, I really can't say enough. Like you can't underestimate the power of that network of, yeah. of other brands that have that same mindset. Um, yes. it's been, that's been amazing. 
And there's in, in the reality is I think sometimes there's a fear of like, well, I don't want to reach out to brands that are similar or something like that, because I don't, I don't want to give them my customers. Um, and likewise, they, they don't want to give their customers to me, but the reality is there's, there's room for everyone. There's, there's space for everyone here. And that community is only going to help propel you and get you, you know, a larger slice of the pie faster because, you know, it's, it's just, it's good karma. It comes back to you and it really just helps you it helps you find the best fit for you because chances are that person that you're building a relationship with, they're going to have someone, whether you're, whether it's a product or a service, they're going to have someone who comes to them and says, and is potentially interested, but it's not like the best fit for them. And they're going to go, Oh, but you know, who is right. And it's going to come over to you. And so building that network is, is huge. And it's something that I think, people don't necessarily think of networking as marketing when they first start out, but it's, it's one of my favorite strategies because it, it just builds you so much faster and you get those referrals, you get that interaction that you wouldn't, if you're just, you know, heads down focused on social media only or paid ads or whatever it is. Like you just, you cannot underestimate, like you said, the power of having a good network of people who can funnel you the right leads or connect you to the right people. Um, you know, whether it's a, a mentor or a gap in your process or something that you need filled, like those are all critical pieces that really truly only come from having a good network in place. Yeah, totally agree. So switching gears just a, just a little bit, you, when you worked with clients and sorry, remind me, do you still work with clients or are you, you're just focused on your hair care brand? Uh, my hair care is, is taking so much time. Yep. I do have a couple of clients that they still tap into me now and then, yes. and I'm always, and I still do a lot of advising too. Yes. So um, I, I also find it helps me with, with my business because it keeps me fresh and relevant in terms of what yeah. else is going on in the world. For sure. For sure. So I'm um, thinking back on working with clients and things like that. You yeah. spoke a lot about marketing funnels and can you explain first, what is a funnel? And then second, why should startups have it? And if you put it in context of like your, your hair care brand as like a real example, what, what does that mean? What does that process look like? Yeah. So a funnel is just a very simple way of breaking down a customer journey. You know, and if you think about, um, a journey for a startup brand, well, no one knows you. So the first step is they need to be aware of you. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, some funnels have multiple steps and some are quite simple, but it's basically like you got to get somebody from awareness to interest, to engagement, yeah. to consideration, to purchasing, and then post-purchase, ideally sharing, yeah. repeating, you know, and, yeah. and having an experience that pulls them back through the funnel. So um, the reason it's important is because what people don't realize is, well, I'll, let me back up. I think because of the digital marketing um, world these days and the way DTC brands have sort of taken over, 
people assume that you can just run an Instagram ad for a brand that's completely unknown. <laughs> people just click on that and buy it. Yes. And okay, there are examples of times when that happens, yes. but most of the time, what we find is that people want to know more about the brand. They don't. They don't have such a trigger finger on the transaction as you might hope they would. And for us, it takes um, on average seven touch points for yep. somebody to hear about us. And then maybe they get retargeted, maybe they hear about us on Pinterest or they see us on a board and then they get retargeted on Facebook and then they might go to our site and nose around a little and then they might hear a podcast. Yep. And, and, you know, it, and, and so it's like, there's a, there's a process and it usually is seven touch points before they finally go, okay, I'm going to try this out. Right. So, you know, you kind of have to be thinking about the steps all along the funnel, not just the conversion step. And it's very tempting to only want to focus on conversion because yes. we all care about sales, <laughs> but, um, but you have to recognize that people need to be brought in, brought through the process a little bit more, you know, romance. <laughs> yes, for sure. I think it is absolutely really easy. And I've been kind of like on this personal crusade lately to educate about Facebook and Instagram ads because people focus so much on that conversion and it's so tempting. And it's, I mean, Facebook and Instagram, like tout it to like, Oh, $5 a day. And you can get like millions of customers. They don't yeah. exactly like that, but that's kind of how they make you feel. And it's really, it's not, it's not like that because like you said, it takes several touch points. So if you think about how many times you have to serve someone that ad before they ever even click on it. And then once they click on it, like you're just at step one, right? <laughs> so yeah. you've had all of these like baby steps to get to step one. And I've, I've been really passionate lately about being like, that's not necessarily the best way when you're starting out. That's not the best way to invest and start getting the word out because it can be really costly. And I think it's just a good reminder that like, if you think about yourself from a consumer standpoint, like how often do you click on an ad the first time you see it buy immediately and are like thrilled and a brand advocate? probably hardly ever. I'm sure it happens, but probably very rarely do you just go like, Ooh, new ad, new product. Yes. Purchase. Yes. Tell people about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. So if I've never set, if I've never set up this funnel, I've never thought about it. So even if we don't call it a funnel, if I've never thought about like the, the journey of moving somebody from like zero awareness to a conversion, what is, what's the first thing I should do? Like, where do I start? What's the first thing I should think about to make sure that like, I'm getting this off on the right foot? Well, we're back to a little bit of research. And I, I think um, it depends on what category you're in because each, each category operates a little differently. Yeah. Um, but I think um, if you, well, what I, what we like to do is do some post-purchase uh, surveys um, so you asked somebody how they found out about us, oh, where, yeah. they, where they saw us, you know, um, and that is a really helpful, informative way to start to build that out and understand. And then the other thing, obviously, with Google Analytics, and now Shopify has a li little bit of analytics in their site, like you can start to piece together how somebody got to you. And then when you throw Dojo Mojo in the mix, and you're getting you're acquiring emails through there, and then you're text messaging those people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you can track their purchase. 
um, you can start to put together a pretty good picture of what it takes. Um, and yeah. not every customer is the same. So some people respond better to SMS and some people respond better to email and some people yeah. like, you know, will respond to Instagram. So, you know, you can't assume that, you know, the, the behavior is completely representative, but it'll give you a right. good sense of like, okay, yes, somebody needs to see this five times. And there's different parts of the story that they're reacting to, by the way, right. that seem to have more impact than other parts. You know, yeah. they like to hear customer testimonials. They like to see the reviews. They want to hear where we get our Makabu, um, that it's from Northeastern Japan, from a family-owned seaweed company, you know, like, what are those parts of the story that make people go, oh, that's interesting. I, I want to hear more. Yeah, I think, and and I think keeping, it's worth mentioning that like keeping track of all of that stuff is really important. So having some sort of repository, you know, like as marketers, we like to be like, oh, you should have a CRM system or like some way to manage, but that's not that's not really attainable when you're like a small startup to invest in something. So just, you know, if you're listening and you're, you're starting to take note and go, okay, I need to do all of these things, having some place, even if it's just some sort of spreadsheet that you're taking this information and like dumping it into so that you can keep track of it and start sorting through it is, is really important because that's where those little insights are going to help you kind of shift gears and say, okay, this works really, really well. And this doesn't. So I'm not going to, I'm going to scale back my investment or I'm going to stop investing in this area. I'm going to move over here. Um, a lot of times advertising is really, and marketing your business is really just looking at all of that information and making those adjustments so that you're getting that return on your investment and you are really focused in on what works for you and not what you think works for you. Looking at exactly. that information and, and really making sure you know it. So there's in today's environment, and like you mentioned, like these D2C brands have really kind of taken over and shifted the digital environment to really kind of make you feel like the experience is all about the, the social experience that you see, the ads that you see. Um, I think by now people are pretty well aware, especially if you're focused on just digital marketing or if you're an online only business that like having a really good website is, is a must. You can't just have this horrible experience and expect people to like power through it and purchase your product and feel good about it. But there's also something to be said for like what happens offline in that experience. So if I'm starting out and I am someone who has an offline experience, meaning um, somebody can come into a physical location or they get a tangible product from me, what should I be thinking about when it comes to that experience and making sure that it aligns with my brand and really comes full circle for my customers. 
Yeah, that's a good question because there is so much emphasis on online these days. And the reality is, I think COVID has also shown us that we still like social interactions and we still like to go places and we still, you know, we miss it when we don't do it. So I I think, yes, there's an opportunity. And I actually think with COVID, there's an opportunity to sort of reinvent and reset some of those experiences. Because really, if you think about what you as a customer like, it's what you should be thinking about for your brand. People want to be surprised and delighted. It's a little cliche, but you know, you want to go in and, well, first of all, you don't want to be disappointed. You don't want to go in and get a bad experience. So customer service is key, you know, being able to find somebody to ask a question. I mean, I can't tell you like when I go into Best Buy and there's nobody there and I'm like, I just need to get a charger and I can't find someone. It's so frustrating. It makes me hate them. Yes. I also hate going into AT&T. Like there are certain places that I just really avoid at all costs because yeah. it's just not a good experience. So, but when you can actually um, give people a great experience because uh, they're treated well, they're acknowledged when they walk in, um, you know, uh, the way the, even the, the, the products and the purchases or the services are packaged up um, there's so many things you can do in the environment, even the scent. I have a friend who's a scent marketer and that's a really interesting area because she creates scents for environments yeah. for stores and hotels. And, you know, scent is a very powerful mechanism for, um, all sorts of things. And, you know, being able to walk in and just have a, you know, have a really yummy smelling place. And like, there's so many things you can do. Um, in a physical space that you can't do online. And you should think about all those senses, take advantage yeah. of all of them and really try to over-deliver. Yeah, and I think when you think through kind of all of those senses and you think about, and I tell, I tell people this all the time, like the difference between just a business and a brand is when you think through all of those little components and you kind of offer up this elevated experience. It's not that any of the things that you do is necessarily revolutionary in any one of those spaces. It's kind of the sum of all of those parts, like walking in and being like, oh my gosh, that scent. I had a coworker who used to stay at the Aria in Vegas. And like, she spent mm-hmm. months tracking down whatever scent it was that they pipe into their lobbies because yeah. she loved it. She loved it. And it's the sum of all of those parts. And that's the difference between like a business and a brand is that kind of feeling of an elevated experience. And that elevated experience comes from the attention to the detail that's paid to each of those areas and making sure that they're all cohesive and that they just feel really good and in line with who you are as a business. They align with your positioning and all of the decisions because your brand really becomes that measuring stick of how you make every decision. So when you use it and you use it well in each of those areas, that's where people start to kind of get that elevated sense of like, Ooh, this is really, this is really an experience. And this is really a, a, a brand. They're not just running a business from whatever it is they're doing. Yeah, totally. No, I, I think you nailed it. So continuing along the lines of thinking about the brand experience, if I'm someone who knows that my brand needs work, um, or I want to kind of put it in better alignment, how, where do I start to make sure that my brand is meeting my audience or my customers' expectations? 
Right. Well, I think customer feedback is a great opportunity to see where people may have, you know, thought the brand really delivered and where it fell short. So that's, that's another way you can just keep a handle on that. Um, so that's great. But I think it does go back to, again, the, the clarity around what you stand for and how you're telling the story and making that really um, transparent to your customers um, so that they understand it. So it, again, it can't live in your head. If, if you think your brand is all about, you know, um, inclusion and collaboration and sustainability, but nobody picks up on that because you're not showing images that are inclusive or <laughs> the people that work with you are not collaborative, you know, then it's yeah. like, that doesn't work. So, so it really does go back to those, those core principles of mm -hmm. what you, you want to be and then pulling those through all of your brand experience. So one tool that we use, what I was using in consulting is think about uh, product, brand, experience, and community, those four filters. Mm -hmm. And then think about your brand values through those four filters. Mm -hmm. So how does it translate into the product? How does it translate into the experience? How does it translate into the community? Um, you, and you start to be able to paint a picture then of making sure that it's actually a really well-rounded experience and it's not just sure. hitting on a great product but doesn't have any, any of the other pieces. Mm -hmm. No, I like that. I um, am getting ready to kind of shift my target audience just slightly. And so um, I am, I'm about to go through this process yet again um, for, for myself, which is fine. It's right. It's all an iteration and an evolution, but um, I'm going to I'm making notes of this as you as you speak. So I'm going to make sure that I, I think of it through there, through those lenses, because it's really good very, very easy, a very easy way to kind of think through it. It's, so it's, yeah. not, it's not so muddy. Um, Cause I think that's something that happens a lot too, when you try to think about your, your own brand or your own business, you know, you can kind of get overwhelmed because there's like so many directions you can go. So focusing in on four areas. I like that. Um, so what's the biggest mistake that when you are working with clients, you in the startup world, what is the biggest mistake you would see for them when it came to their branding and marketing? And did you, did you take that, take those lessons from watching them and how did you apply it to like your hair care as you were starting? I would say the biggest mistake, and we've touched on it already, but it's the lack of consistency. Yeah. And it's because, you know, you'd, you'd start to talk to the founder and sometimes there'd be, you know, two or three founders and then there'd be a salesperson and then there'd be, you know, somebody that was their talent person. You know, you, you, sometimes it's two or three people and sometimes it's 10 people, sometimes it's 20 people. So what I would find though, is it got deeper into that group is you'd ask them to tell the story and they'd all say it differently. Mm -hmm. And some of them would make it sound like it's a company that does this one thing with a little bit of the other thing. And then others would flip it, you yeah. know, like, and so, you know, um, that was always eye-opening for startups when we'd go through that exercise because they'd always go, no, we're super consistent. What are you talking about? And then you would literally do these interviews and every single one, it would be like people talking about a different company. Yeah. So that is the first thing you have to do is get everybody on the same page. Um, and there's nothing wrong with letting people talk in their own voice. I'm not suggesting people have to be robots and have to, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. but having the sound bites 
to be able to say, we are a blank mm-hmm. that does this, yes. that, you know, is here's why we exist and here's what makes us different. And having everybody understand those sound bites is super helpful, super, super helpful. So this is, um, this is something, this is, this is more of a personal question. So do you ever, um, and I'll give you some context. So my friend and I have, have an idea for a side hustle. It's like her second side hustle and I'm in the process of building a business. So where we thought we'd have time for this, I'm, I'm sure, but nevertheless. So when you are putting together your, your product, I am, I am kind of of the mindset where it's like you get your brand set at least initially kind of going into it. And when you're talking about like, if you're doing drop shipping, for example, which is what kind of our concept is drop shipping for children's clothes. So I believe like, Hey, let's get things like, let's kind of get some cohesiveness. And she's more of like a trial by error. Like there's kind of, and and I don't think it's necessarily wrong. Her thought is like, before we really start marketing ourselves, like let's give us some time and we'll just kind of put some things out there and we'll iterate that way. Cause it's drop shipping. So it's not like inventory or anything like that, that we have to worry about. Is there, when you're kind of in that space, is there one approach that is better or more favorable? Like, have you ever seen somebody launch by doing kind of that trial by error and then creating the brand and things like that? Or do you feel like you really kind of have to have the brand in place or at least the start of a brand in place to even get people interested in that initial purchase? I kind of think it's a little bit of both, um, which I know is a, is a weasel answer, but <laughs> I think, I think the reality is, um, as I've been advocating, you need to figure out the branding, right. the big, the big important stuff first, yeah. um, because I have worked with almost every startup I work with. Well, the reason they bring us in is because they have confusion and lack of clarity yeah. around the brand message. So that's, that's that. But, um, so you really do need to figure that stuff out, but I will say you got to leave room for iteration because, you know, as a startup, you don't have deep pockets and resources to do every type of research in the world. So you have to make assumptions off of the data you have, and it's often piecing together incomplete pictures of things. So, you know, you do the best you can, you make an assumption. I mean, look for us, we thought our target was one thing and it turns out it's, it's, we have very different people than I thought we would have, um, who are our brand lovers. So you have to learn and then you iterate and then you move on. So I, I think it's gotta be a little bit of both. And I think it's probably good that you've got to push in a pull. Yep. Because if you, if, you know, if, if you're too much on one side or the other side, that's not good. Yeah. No, that's what I, um, that's what I told her. I said, we're going to, we will balance each other out. Cause we are both kind yeah. of, she's very like spontaneous and like, let's go, let's just try it. Whereas, you know, if I was left to my own devices, um, you know, I'm like, I'm going to analyze and I'm going to think through things I'm going to create, and then I'm going to think and recreate. So it, it works itself out, but I think it, I think it does make sense the way you kind of framed it up. So last question to kind of frame this up or, or put a nice, neat little bow on this conversation. Is there, if there's one piece of advice that you could give a listener who is relatively new or getting ready to start, what would be like distill that into one piece of 
one golden nugget that you would give them when it comes to starting out? I, I go back to build your network. It is the most helpful and important thing you can do. And you can do it while you have another job. It doesn't mm-hmm. take money. You know, it takes some time, but I think that is going to pay itself back in massive dividends. Um, because also, as you think about launching, you need a team, you need capabilities and having a network of people to go to, to figure some of that out is invaluable. So that would be my, my number one thing you can do to get yourself set up for success. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. This has been a really great conversation. I have learned a lot and I, I'm sure my listeners have as well. If someone wants to connect with you, um, if they want to try your hair care, like where do they, um, connect with you personally or, you know, connect with your brand, where do they go? Well, I'm easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm actually a pretty heavy LinkedIn user. So you can search for me and search for Masami and I'll pop up. Um, If you want to check out our brand, our website is lovemasami.com and our brand name is spelled M-A-S-A-M-I. So it's lovemasami.com. And then our social handles are lovemasami hair everywhere. And my personal social handle is Lynn Powered everywhere. Awesome. That's that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thank you. That was fun. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode as much as I did and you've learned a bit more about branding. If you did, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so other listeners like you can find this podcast. Until next time.